The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Ken Crowther and this week my special guest was Lucy Chamberlain. Some of the questions we answered range from potting on oak trees, renovating gardens, which holly will produce berries and potting up patio fruit trees. Ken Crowther, this is BBC Essex. Well, before we get to your gardening questions, myself and Lucy can bring you some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden. I was going to say the next seven days, but uh, let's just say in the future. <laughs> Should we be a bit kind to people today, Lucy? If you want a break from the Christmas shopping and the craziness on the high street, Ken, then now is a great time to prune your grapevines. <laughs> did you see what I did there? There, yeah, nice one. <laughs> yeah. Um, More yeah. people grow grapevines than used to as well, don't they? They do. I think people are realising that actually they're fully hardy. They're, you know, tough as old boots. They don't require any special treatment, really. You can allow them, if you want to, just to ramble all over the shop like any other climber. Um, but if you want grapes on them, then it is good to intervene and prune them. We've got where we are two indoor grapes, um, they are pruned, I won't go into the technicalities, but basically one main long stem and then off that there are side shoots that produce bunches of grapes there and then, and then they get the Are they big... the bits you prune? Yes, yeah, all the side shoots, I have cut those back to literally very short spurs to about two inches. So what I'm left with is one main stem and off that main stem are all these little two inch spurs and that's what will fruit next year. The reason you prune grapes now is because they bleed sap if you prune them in the late winter or the spring, which can be a nuisance. It can be messy. It can weaken the vines a little bit, but it's just mainly a nuisance. So get your pruning of your grapes done now. Outdoor grapes, on the other hand, ramble all over the shop and they're more grown for ornamental value than for the bunches of grapes. So, Oh, I don't know about that today. Really? Yeah, Which, lots of people. Well, you think how many vineyards we've got in Essex? Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you've got if you've got a vineyard... Mm. And I, I guess, yes, you better get going. <laughs> you want to get going now. Yeah. Um, but if you say you've got a grape over a pergola or an arbour or something like that... Um, the Would main you do things, it now? Yeah, I would still do it do now it because the, the timing is, is now. The way you'd prune uh, more of a, a sort of like a rambling grape outside is just uh, any side shoots that are growing in the wrong direction, cut those back. Again, you can cut them hard. And any if it's a newer vine and you want to tie in to cover up a structure, then do the tying in now as well. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go to, uh, we've had a bit of frosty weather and we've got to think of our birds because we've got to look after the birds. Um, and I think the most important thing about birds is actually is water, fresh water all the time. Mm. Uh, just seeing that they've got fresh water because that's the bit that we can't supply na naturally unless you're near a river or perhaps um, a stream that's running. Because if you've got a pond and it freezes, they can't get at the water. So please put out water for the birds. They've got a lot of fruit around this year. Yeah, haven't they? So I'm not actually too keen on giving them too much food at this time of year. I think a bit of grain and, you know, seed is quite useful. But they don't need as much as normal because really it's all out there. I mean, we've had a fantastic year for fruit and berries. So come yeah. on, birds, get out of there and get it yourself. <laughs> Clean it all up. We don't want to make them lazy, do we? No, and I suppose once you can see that the berries aren't on the shrubs and the trees quite then, so prolifically, then you then can put feed. some feed in. But that might not be till sort Could of February. Be January, February. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, I have been doing a lot of replenishing and replanting at East Donnellan Hall where I'm head gardener. And... 
what can happen sometimes if you plant something in the autumn or winter, which is a good time to do so, but then we have a harsh frost, and we've had a couple, what can happen is the earth can sort of puff up. Um, What happens is the moisture within the soil actually, when it freezes, it expands. And if you've recently dug over that area of soil to plant something, it can just cause the soil to fluff up, and then you get lots of air pockets developing. And the shrub or tree that you've planted, its roots can dry out. Um, so if we've had a harsh frost and you've planted something, just go back around and check those plants. And if they have lifted, just refirm them with your boots nice and gently, just but to make sure that they're nice and solid in the ground and not um, the roots aren't going to dry out. Yeah, and we're talking about frost, so my one is keep off the lawns and grass areas if you've got frost. What happens is you crush the tissue within the grass and it will burn and you get black marks all over your lawn if you trudge about so keep off the lawn if you've got frost however if you've got good weather and you've still got leaf on your lawn you can do more harm by leaving the leaf than you can actually possibly by walking on the frost but anyway it's more important to get rid of the leaf and there's a lot of oak and those latter uh, trees that drop leaf right into the winter right into christmas and beyond oak is a good example so get those leaves off the lawn because you'll get fusarium and often other diseases forming beneath that warm blanket of leaf so get those off the lawn as well but remember don't walk on the lawn in the frost i know i did that once when i was very young and my granddad went furious because he was very proud of his lawn not good no um rose pruning yes now then do we or don't we well i do and if you looked at my hands you could tell that i'm not lying because i've got a few scratches on my hands and around my ankles where they get me as well but we have got a lot of roses at donnellan hall and yes you can leave it until the spring but i find we're we're a small team there and in the spring we're very busy with other jobs and there's nothing wrong with because I did this last year and Ken was a bit worried yeah. that I'd done it too early. But in November and December, and it worked. Ab- yeah, it's absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. I've pruned the hybrid teas down really hard this year because they got a little bit too leggy. A bit heady. Yeah. So I've given them a really good chop back. I've got loads of ramblers and climbers that are throwing themselves off the wall because they've grown an awful lot in that wet summer. So they're going to be tied in and cut back as well. Um, so, yes, if you feel like getting ahead then prune your roses now. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Some top tips there to keep you busy in the garden this week. And I started by chatting with Lucy about the Christmas wreaths that she's been making. I have been. I spotted that somewhere. Yeah, my friend and I have got a little company where we do wreath courses. Now, and uh, yeah, we've we've had uh, we've done a couple, and they've been. And really... it's all out in the garden yeah. there for you, isn't it? Exactly. Well, that's what we've been doing. That's our kind of thing. It's like it's yeah. got to be very natural uh, products, not so all the plastic what... plants and oh, no tinsel and stuff. Plant. No, no, tinsel. no, no sorry, but I'm it's joking. but it looks lovely. I mean, can, and also the where I've been working at East London Hall, they have a wreath on their door that I made. Again, it's all made made completely from things from the garden. So. Um, like what the... sort of plants do you use then? Oh, well, no, just a reminder of that number: oh three hundred. 200 40 41. Give us a call. If you've got ideas on anything towards Christmas, we'll talk about it with you and you can spread the word across the county. <laughs> right. Yeah, so holly, we've, mm. um, if, you've, if, if you know anyone who's got a variegated holly that uh, looks really lovely in a wreath, and my mum and dad have got a 
lovely uh, white and green holly in their garden that's full of berries. So I did nibble a little bit off that before the courses started. But green holly is a very good base and a bit of conifer. And then you put your variegation so in. So do you buy a frame or do you make it we, yourself? We How made, do you do we, that? We use the very simple wire frames. It's like yep. basically two rings of wire and they're linked together with another little bit of wire here mm. and there. And then you either moss that up. And so moss you can you can buy in in bulk. Or get out of your or, lawn. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I used hay actually for the one oh, at right. East Island Hall, which is a little bit more tricky to get the wires through, but it still works. If you can't get moss or you don't want to be buying moss because um, it needs to be harvested from the right places, then hay is a very good substitute to use as well and we have horses at East Dunland so I just nipped over to the horse stables and pinched a little bit of their hay they didn't mind they were very very happy for me to take some but yeah um, we've used seed heads I've got some lovely um, sea holly in the herbaceous borders oh, right. that and looks that looked nice. really yeah. really nice and obviously cones we've got some large uh, cedar trees at East Dunland I've been using cones um, privet berries are black whereas ivy berries are green and actually using those two together looks quite nice it's a very subtle black though it can do yeah yeah, i've got there was some in uh, the hedge at home has got black berries Mm. on the um ivy but others are green but the privet berries are jet black and shiny all those years and i never (laughs) realized there were two colored berries in ivy yeah exactly so and then obviously you've got your classics like the yeah we um berberus is a bit prickly that's the only thing with berberus it can be a bit but it has got lovely colored berries yeah it it can be beautiful hips Um, and haws yeah rose there's some lovely roses Mm. in the garden and uh the, the the big fat hips of roses or if you're walking your dog and you find the wild roses those hips are beautiful as well for little pinpricks of color tiny apples if you've still got apples Mm. hanging on your tree and you've got small ones you can wire those up and they look a nice eye-catching thing you can dry your own discs of apple you can dry your own oranges uh, oh, there's hydrangea heads. They were a fantastic thing that we used as well. Um, ornamental you can grasses. Can bunch those up a bit, can't you, by yeah. pulling, what, pulling yeah. them in with wire? Feathers, if you've got anyone yeah. that nearby Pheasants. you. Pheasants. Yeah, pheasant feathers or peacock feathers or anything mm. like that. Globe artichoke heads are very dramatic. So, oh gosh, there's ten. There's all sorts of stuff that we've used. So, yeah. and I say it's all in your garden. It's all in your garden. So, yep. if you've got a question of us, if there's some ideas that we've just thrown at you from from Lucy, my guest here in the studio, Ken Crowther and Lucy, and don't forget that number to call is o three hundred two hundred forty forty one. That's the number to call, and the text. Yes, the text eight one triple three, and uh, start your message with Essex. And we will be talking to Robert. Robert uh, from Clapton uh, talks to us via text as well. Come on then, let's talk to Audrey in Haybridge. Hello, Audrey. Good morning, Ken. What would you like to know? Well, if, um, I just had two patio trees delivered, a plum and a cherry, mm-hmm. um, with instructions to put them into pots at least 12 inches diameter. Yeah. I've got some John Innes number three. Mm-hmm. My question is, when are they're standing in the garage at the moment, when can I put them outside? Ah, yeah, right now, Audrey. Right, right now. now. Yeah, um, those two trees you mentioned, it was a plum and what was the... Cherry. A cherry, yep. Yeah, they're fully hardy. And I, I get, have they been delivered with any soil around their roots or are they what we call bare root? No, they've, they've been, they are planted. They are planted. Oh, right. yeah, oh okay. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. So at the moment, you don't need to do it now. Um, bare root plants, once, which is very often sold via mail order at this time of year because the soil can be heavy to post otherwise, those are best planted up immediately just so that the roots don't dry out. But because your two trees, the plum and the cherry, are potted, you don't need to rush to plant them out. But saying that, 
they will start making a lot of root growth in the spring as the soil warms up. So I would get them into that larger pot, that least 12 inches diameter. Now, maybe even bigger if you could, 15 inches would be great. Um, and you say you've got some John Inner's number, number three. three compost, was mm. that right? Three. Yep. Yes. Yep, that's perfect. Absolutely perfect for them. Um, so there's no rush to pot them, but pot them up before... Uh, the middle of February, but I would, would say. Take, but put them outside now. Yeah. Don't leave them in, indoors. There's, there's no reason, especially now they're because they're potted and they're not going to yeah. dry out. They can be. They're absolutely fine to plant out. Uh, to, sorry, to put leave outside. Out. And even if the 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 pots freeze, it's not going to cause the the plants any harm. Oh, that's brilliant! Thank you, Audrey. Yeah, just Audrey, just yeah. out of interest, which cherry did you buy and which plum did you buy? Just, I'm just intrigued. I always am. Do you know? Uh, or was it just a cherry and a plum? No, they weren't named. Oh, the, the plum is uh, Victoria. Yeah, oh, lovely. A very good one. Yeah, yep. yeah, and that's self-fertile, so that will all set fruit nicely on its own. And what, what, do you know the cherry or not? And the cherry, I can't remember. Oh, is it a self-fertile one? Is it one that will produce yes, fruit is. on its own? Yeah, because there are. Yes, and, yeah. and these are both on patio patio stocks, so they're on small stocks. Nice so, and dwarfing, yeah. Which yeah. Me, and it also means that they'll produce fruit very quickly. Because that's the other thing that helps with patio trees. Yeah. What I'd say, Audrey, is just be careful. We're talking about frost and how that doesn't harm the roots at all. But the flowers um, could be damaged by a frost. So when you've got these trees outside uh, in the spring, if if they're flowering, which will be not until at least going into March or April, um, if you get a frost then then it might be a good idea to either cover the plants over with some fleece or a blanket, um, or if they're not too heavy, just temporarily over that night when it's frosty, lift them up and move them into somewhere that's frost-free, like a conservatory or your porch or something like that. Because if the flowers get frosted, they can get damaged or even killed off, and then you won't get any crop. So that is important about the cold weather. I've got some fleece anyway. So Perfect, uh, yeah. If you just put some bamboo canes in the pot so that the fleece is held away from the flowers, so it's not touching the flowers, then mm-hmm. that stops um, the, the flowers being damaged. So that's, that's a, a, I'd say, a, a good tip for the frost there. All right, Thank Audrey. Thank you very much indeed. Yes, that's Pleasure. fine. Thank you. Good to hear from Audrey in Haybridgen. We have some uh, two lines free on 0300 200 4041. That's 0300 200 4041. Give us a call now. Anything to do with, well, anything to do with gardening. Now, gardening, we mustn't forget, is indoor and outdoor. It all works together at this time of the year particularly. Well, in fact, it all works like that. All the year, because we talk about houseplants. Houseplants are having a resurgence in popularity at the moment. Exactly, so they are, so that's quite important. Now, um, Chloe in Southend, picking up on your wreath idea, she said, would like to know from Lucy whether those artichoke heads and other parts of plants need to be sprayed with any lacquer before they're used in wreaths, or do they fall apart? You know, yeah. I mean, that's a good example, actually, the the, um, the artichoke head, because they are yeah. quite fragile they and are. dry, don't yes, they? Yes, they are, yeah. If you're going to have anything on your front door, uh, so it's outside and accessible to birds, then sadly, seed heads are something that birds like. And even if and they're apple. Sp- yeah, exactly. <laughs> and even if they're sprayed, um, you may find, if you get a very confident bird, because not many birds want to come up to the front door, but they may well peck the berries. Robins and blue and tips would, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. So, so if you're using a, a lot of those things in your wreath and you want to make sure that it's kept complete, then that's when you can have it maybe inside the house somewhere. But on the front door, 
Yeah, you wouldn't I, lacquer it. I wouldn't. It's not going to. It's not going to keep Won't the hurt. birds away. No, no. Like you, I say, it's mainly. It's mainly also, the. It hurts. The birds don't want lacquered fruit, do they? Really? No, no. But that, that's my only concern. That when you're choosing the seed heads, mm. yeah, you want to make sure that they're sound and solid. And if when you're wiring them, you find that they're falling Wouldn't, apart, forget it. Don't use them because honestly, they're they're past their best. But yeah, like I say, artichoke heads. Um, the fluffy centre, the choke, can start yep. pulling away. Hmm. But again, if they're already doing that, then don't use them in your wreath. Make sure you're using seed heads that are nice and solid and dense and firm. And I think artichokes really are much better eaten than used as displayed. <laughs> you you know, you've got to have a big wreath to take an artichoke, but I have seen it used and it does yeah. look lovely. Uh, and like I say, my sea holly and also Achillea head seed heads oh, I Achillea's used. Achillea's good, yeah. Yeah, they were very nice mm. very, and domed. And also, as I say, the hydrangea are lovely. Um, so just it's the birds that would be a problem. 0300 200 40 41. That's the number to call. That's 0300 200 40 41. Um, we're going to quickly go to John in Clacton because uh, John's been there and then we're going to go to the travel. So, John, how can we help you, John? Uh, yes, Ken. I get leaf curl on the peach tree and I yep. make an umbrella and cover it over. Right. Is it the same curl that you get on the cherries? No. Or is that a different one? And no. would it help if I'd done the same? No, they're totally different. Um, cherry curl is actually formed, is the problem of an in, of yeah. an aphid. It's, it's not it's cherry black fly, John. It's cherry black fly. Yeah, and then peach leaf curl is a fungus. Uh, so two totally separate things and like you say the the fungus you can easily control and i'm, I'm going to be doing He's this doing in january covering it, yeah covering it up um we've got a massive big peach tree at east Donland that it's it's huge but we cover that up and also the nectarine with a polythene cover to stop the well it does it stops the spores germinating because they need moisture to germinate in the spring but the black the cherry gets black fly in the spring and what you can do now is spray your cherry tree with a what we call a winter wash and I was doing this the okay. other day with our, our trees. And what that does, it, it kills it off it helps. quite a lot of the overwintering aphid eggs on your cherry. So you can do that. And also in the spring, when you see the black fly populations building up on the shoot tips, use an organic spray such as rapeseed oil or fatty acids on the shoot tips. All right. Okay, thanks very much. Ken Crowther. This is BBC Essex. Con from Southminster, what would you like to chat about, uh, Con? Um, well, it's I've got a beautiful winter flowering jasmine. Right. Oh, lovely. It smells so powerful, and I wanted to know the proper name of it. Oh, what the, is it? The one with the white flowers? Oh. Yes. And is it the house plant type, or is it the one that's outside? Oh, it's outside. It's a big plant I inherited it from a Hang- doctor who lived up a bit. Hang on. You say it's flowering now. Is it yellow flowered? No, white flowered, dear. Oh right, okay. Because the, the one that's one. yeah, isn't that that's strange? Because there are, there's a few different jasmines. The one that's flowering now is Jasminum nudiflorum, which and is that yellow. Has yellow flowers on very sort of long, wiry stems. The one that you're talking about, which is lovely and outside and strongly scented, quite is, big. It is. Yeah, I think it's Jasminum well, officinale, big. and that's the summer flowering jasmine, which usually can get damaged by the frost. Yeah. A bit. So is it in a very sheltered spot? Oh, no, not really. It's a big garden. I must admit. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, how lovely! Beautiful. And yeah. it's right, like on the corner. 
and there's a, a biggish tree, you know, near it. But I mean, it smells beautiful. And it wouldn't be a track of the sperman, would it, Ken? Well, even that doesn't flower that now, doesn't does flower it? Now. It's finished. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it must be like me then. Has it got a leathery leaf, a leathery type leaf that's gone slightly red? No, it hasn't gone red, it's green. Green? No, it must be a jasmine. <laughs> it's then. got to be the jasmine. Yep. Well, it's you're a very lucky lady. Jasmine, but yep. I want you to know the official name. Because so the official name I is? Bucket, right. I'd like to say, oh, that's what it's called. Yeah, <laughs> right, Lucy, repeat the name. Jasmine M. Officionale. They are. So Jasmine. that's what you've got. But we're very surprised that it's flowering now, so many congratulations. Right, let's go to Anita in Stansted. What, uh, what do you want to talk about today, uh, uh, Anita? Well, I've um, got, I bought in home base some, some grasses um, and they're in the pot. And I have a gardener and he cut them all back. And I wonder if they will come back again next year. Most grasses you do cut back, don't you? But yeah, normally a bit there are later some that are, on. There's some, that, some grasses are evergreen, the ornamental grasses, and some are uh, what we call deciduous. So they, they Go die, die back like miscanthus. You can cut back hard. Um, and, yeah, so, Anita, it depends on what grasses you purchase. Like I say some of them, I mean, they'll all come back. That's the, the beauty of grasses. If they're cut oh, back good. hard, they all shoot from ground level. So even if he's cut back by accidentally some evergreen ones they'll still come back that's absolutely no problem but it might be worth researching which ones you have and just checking whether they're evergreen or deciduous stiper is is an yeah, evergreen yeah gigantea you yeah you can sort of comb out the leaves from that with gloved hands horrible job yes yeah yeah <laughs> and like caught the the, the the pampas grass but uh, is it possible to cut it right down it, or is it, should I leave it halfway? Well, a grass you're talking about? A grass, yeah. You won't hurt it, whatever you do. If you cut it half or you cut it full down, you will not have hurt it. It mm. will regrow from the base, Anita. Oh, thank you very much. And thank you, Ken, and um, the other lady. Lucy. Lucy. <laughs> That's all right, Anita. <laughs> OK, Anita, thank you very much indeed. Uh, and we go to uh, Sid in Thundersea. Hi, Sid. Hello, Ken and Lucy. Uh, just a small question. A friend of mine parked his old Mercedes in a building and he found some acorns where rats had got in behind the back seat. Yep. Late summer, he, showed, he put them in a carry bag. Late summer, he showed them to me and said, look what I've got. I said, well, don't throw them away. I'll put them in some pots. See uh-huh. what happens. Sorry about the dog. <laughs> right. Is there a squirrel around or something? And... Uh, Anyway, uh, I put them in some three-inch size pots in a mixture of soil, perlite, and um, uh, multi-compost. And surprisingly enough, they all seemed to grow. There's about one or two didn't, but about 40 of them started growing. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) They're still in small... I have given some away... But most people don't want them because of the size of the tree they grow to. That's right. But I'm wondering, they're in the three-inch pots still. Do I transplant them into a bigger pot now? And because they've got the root system seems to be quite enormous for the size of the plant, mm-hmm. do I oh. plant, what size pot do I put them in and how long can I keep them in pots? You can keep them in pot. An oak tree, actually, you can keep them in pots forever. You can. In theory, yeah. you, have to, you occasionally take them out, root prune them and put them back in. 
Yeah, and what you're doing there is, it is treating them like a bonsai, yeah. essentially. And if you keep them in a, in a pot, it keeps them small as well. So you could do that, but it depends how many trees you want. I mean, if you've still got 30, garden. I would... What about the Wildlife Trust? Because they sometimes do planting of trees, don't they? Is it the Wildlife Trust? Yeah, that's a very good idea. Yeah, I'm sure they'd be very grateful for some seedlings if you think you've got too many. But if not, go up to a sort of eight to nine inch pot, I would, wouldn't you? Yeah. Eight to nine inch five. Pot, yeah. Five, no, it's too small, isn't it? A what five? size are they in now? Three. Three inch pot. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah, so go, so go to something like you say, an eight or a nine inch pot. Nine inch pot. And the mixture, John and the Innes. Mixture I've, I've used. Be yeah, fine. I've that's used fine. a cheapo one from um, a big Doesn't supermarket matter. and mix a little bit of soil with it and perlite. Uh, They're not fussy. They're not fussy. Yeah, the soil, the soil will have a little bit of nutrition to it. You could, if, you, if you're finding that weeds are coming up in the soil, you could maybe substitute that for John Innes number three, which has been treated so there's no um, weed seeds in it, um, if that's a nuisance. But, uh, but what you're, the mix you're using is absolutely fine. Uh, so, in fact, if I wanted to grow some for myself and get them mm-hmm. to be quite a big size, what size pot would I put them in? I'd still, no, you don't want to go too big all, all at once. You still put it. No. You, yeah, a, a, gradually increase it. Any plant, you slowly increase the size. Because if not, I always describe plants as, uh, you know how you cuddle young people, yeah? Yeah. Well, I hope you do. I yeah. mean, if they're your own anyway, you have to be a bit careful <laughs> nowadays. But you know what I mean. Um, plants are similar. Because if you put yeah. a, a, a plant with its root system in a huge pot, mm. It actually yeah. suffers with cold and damp around it, and it won't grow as well. Yeah. So, in fact, you oh, move them. That. You move them on slowly. Yeah, you want the roots to comfortably sort of like you know yeah. have, have room in the pot, but they don't want to be, as Ken says, in, don't have loads in of loads, of, loads of compost around because the compost takes up the moisture, and then the roots work. get too wet. But when you're tr- if you want, Sorry. say you want to keep six, say six, mm. oh, you've chosen to keep six. When you take yeah. them out the pots, prune the roots, just anything of those large roots that are trying to get out the bottom of the pot, cut them back yeah. with secateurs and mm-hmm. pot them on, and they'll be fine. And you can do that now, can't you, yeah. Lucy? Yeah, root pruning is uh, done um, any time in the dormant period, sort of, you know, between uh, November and February. All right. Just two, two small uh, things. They all seem to have green leaves still, and I know it's all the oak trees around me. They're all falling off. Yeah, that's because they're young. Nice green yeah, the, the ah, young also, trees often retain their leaves of oak uh, more than the older ones. So don't worry about that. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, all, right. all your help. Thank you very much. Okay, it's our so pleasure. We yeah. look forward to seeing a forest in Thundersley <laughs> of oak trees. Joy from Colchester. Don't forget, Joy has given us a call on 0300 200 4041. That's the number to call, 0300 200 4041. Hello, Joy. Hello there. Um, I've got... I was given some cuttings, well, um, about two and a half summers ago of everlasting wallflowers. I know that they've got a posh name, but I'll just say that for the moment. Um, I pot- potted them up in my garden and then put planted them out. They've grown into huge bushes, but mm. they've never flowered. Have they never? Oh, and how many years did you say, Joy, you've had these for? Um, it was about two and a half summers ago. Oh, that's unusual because they should... They definitely they should parts of the garden as well. Yeah, I mean they they prefer the sunshine. They do like a quite a an impoverished soil. Um, so nothing that's too rich or too well fed. Uh, so full sun and a sort of more a sh- sharply drained, less fertile soil would be the ideal situation for them. Um, so maybe if they're getting too much shade or 
um, too much nutrition. Well, it's a North Face and Garden I have, but um, okay, as I okay. Said, they should still flower. Three, yeah. three different parts of the garden. So yeah, I'm surprised. Know, I'm surprised. I'm at some point. <laughs> and have you pruned them in any way, Joy, or have you left them do their own thing? Well, I just left them. Well, except for yeah. one that was growing completely over the path, and I couldn't get through. <laughs> but um, you know, they've just sort of grown huge and not flowered, and I didn't yeah. know. That's strange. I wonder if they've been mislabeled. patterns of them and leave them in pots or... Well, no. you could try doing that, but I, I wonder if they've been mislabeled because they're all flower. Like, no. so the everlasting... I took them from a friend's. Oh, okay. And the friend's, you, that was de- it's definitely a plant that flowers well and is healthy, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was, um, that was some friends actually in Cornwall and, and we were down there on holiday and she said, I said, oh, I want to get an everlasting rule for that. She said, oh, don't buy one. She said, oh, you... Ah, right, I are, see. Are you feeding them, feeding them at all? Well, not over necessarily. One has come up um, huge where I had some bulbs, and obviously I feed the bulbs in the. Um, That's right. No, it's just uh, you're better off not feeding to encourage uh, flower. That was all I was going to suggest. Yeah, or give some potash, something potash. like um, some. This time of year, you could put down some sulfate of potash, or in the summer, you could use tomato or rose fertilizer. Um, and don't prune them, Joy, for the moment. Don't just cut leave them one back. Alone. And fingers crossed because if they've come from a flowering plant and they've not yet flowered just maybe you know they might put on the fantastic display this spring they let's hope so yeah i think because in, maybe your friend's garden in cornwall it's, it's, you know, it's very mild down there you had it in a pot though yeah see pots restrict oh, I the roots if i should put take some fresh cut when could i take the fresh cuttings off these in spring spring you get or, a spring or autumn yeah spring or going into the early summer and yeah, as you say was, po- um, having them in the pot so might like restrict the I roots brought them back and potted them up right yeah uh, oh, before right. you before you is, hang on can i, can I just this? can i just remind people that oh three hundred two hundred forty forty one joy has rung in on that and you've got another question for us haven't you joy cacti I've got two. One is just about finished flowering, but I always get confused about the watering of them um, this year. <laughs> well, I tell you what, we, Christmas cacti, we had somebody on the other week who uh, they totally contradicted each other. One, oh. one left their cacti and they sent me a picture. It was magnificent and they ignored it, left it in the conservatory and didn't give it anything hardly and they occasionally <laughs> watered it with a bit of rainwater. The other person watered it uh, with tepid water on a regular basis, fed it when it came into bud, did all the right things and equally had a fantastic show. So what do you do so far, Joy, with your Christmas cacti? I, Is it I've, new? I've tried not watering them too much. I've tried yep. giving them water, and they still both basically do the same. I've got another one coming into bud now, so do I feed that now? You feed the just as they're coming? over. The flowers are sort of dried and you feed. They're in a cool um, utility room. So. You feed when they just come into bud, don't you, yes, Lucy? Yes, you do. Yes, yeah. And you can, have you got a specialist cactus fertiliser or...? No, I haven't. I've got um, baby bio. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, That's fine. Um, But don't overwater. They're better off dry than they are wet. That's how I always used to grow them. And I think they're better off that way. Yeah. Yeah. Let it dry out completely before you water it. Oh, yeah. I don't sort of water them that greatly. And uh, my husband and I have been discussing which way to do it best. Let it dry (laughs) out, then water it. Okay. Yeah, thank you. 
The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Harry in Colchester, <clears throat> he wants to plant a holly tree in his garden and has heard that only a female tree bears the berry. Is that tree? Should he only buy a female tree? And how would he know? Well, there's an interesting oh, one. That's a really see. good question, Harry. It is a good question. Yeah. Now, yeah. Should we start by the, the complex thing that there are... Uh, I was going to call them multi-sexed plants. <laughs> well, I know what you mean. They've got, yeah. a, bit, they've got a bit of everything bit going everything, on. everything, because yes. there are a couple on there. There are some that, what we could say, was sort of self-fertile, Is it essentially. Ilex? What's the green one? Oh, I think something dropped Oh, goodness. Don't be, I don't know. But there is one. I don't know. You there can get some There is a self-fertile one. Yeah. Yeah. Which is green. Mm -hmm. It's not an exciting one and it won't produce as much berry as if you had a male and a female. Yeah. But then don't you think hollies are lovely because the females have got male names, haven't they? I was going to say that. And the males have got female uh, names. I remember when I was they? at Riddle College and we used to do idents and oh, I first joke, discovered that there's a male holly called something something queen and I was like, well, well, yeah. how, do, how, how is king, that not going to confuse people? And the kings are female, aren't yeah. they? Exactly. So, Golden King or something like that is a female. Yeah. And you so think, basically, Harry, you can't tell by the name. Don't <laughs> use that as your guy because it will throw a spanner in the works. But what you need to do is basically go to a good nursery that will say on the label distinctly whether it's a male or a female variety. And you need both to get berries, but you only need, I think it's... Um, of one male will pollinate a quite a few, females. maybe sort of seven or eight females. So they're wind pollinated, and as long as they're in close proximity to each other, that's okay. And you'll probably also find that there's enough native male hollies all around in the hedgerows they usually are. to give you berries on if you want to grow a female variety in your garden and you've only got one room for one. Don't tie yourself in knots. As I say, it will get pollinated by the natives in the hedgerows. So look out for hollies in your area. If your neighbour's mm. got a big holly tree and it doesn't produce fruit, basically, or berries, as mm. they are, fruit, which is a berry, um, all you've got to do is then buy, buy... You then need to have a male and a female if it produces fruit. Yes. If you've got one that you think, oh, look, that hasn't got any berries, you know you've got a male. It's a male, yeah. So they are... Does that help you? I hope it does, Harry in Colchester. If you've got a query, why not send it along to 81333, put Essex on the front. Um, and we have another question here, which is uh, rather strange. Is it worthwhile putting muscular down on the lawn when the ground is frozen? Mm, I wouldn't put anything on Neither my lawn. Because to apply a muscular, A, you've got to walk on the grass. And walking on the grass when it's frozen is not a good idea because it damages the grass. Um, and I think the general rule of thumb is that any weed killer, fertiliser, anything, you don't really want to apply it when the ground is frozen. Um, the ground, if it's frozen solid, it's not going to be active and it's not going to be taking anything up. Um, so, no, I wouldn't do. I would wait. I wouldn't. No, I wait till spring now. February, late February going into March, then apply the muscular. When we get some mild weather. Yeah. Hopefully. And then scarify and give it your lawn spring treatment. Oh, 300, 200, 40, 41. An email has come in uh, talking about um, allotments. Oh, nice. Now, <clears throat> what is it says your listeners, I don't mind advertising this because I think <laughs> growing, growing stuff on allotments, and I know um, uh, uh, Tim Gillett, uh, our our man in charge at the weekend he's a keen allotment man and and this is from the allotment secretary at horndon on the hill church allotments and he's saying he's got actually 
some to rent there, which is very unusual because most of them, most of the areas are pretty well totally occupied. Mm. So he doesn't mind if I give out his number. So I'm going to give out his number, which is 01375 674212. If you're near Horndon on the Hill, church allotments, you can go along and have... I go if you're starting, go for a half allotment. Don't go for a whole one. A yeah. whole one is challenging, to put it mildly, isn't especially it? Especially if it's been neglected. Uh, yeah, especially so, if it's been. But neglected. very often, the allotments, um, the secretaries or the associations will help newcomers by um, rotivating or clearing the site first, mm. because we've, we all know if I've taken over allotments that have been completely overgrown, and it just you lose months trying, However, to, trying to get it sorted. It's interesting you said it said rotivating because rotivating is possibly the worst thing you can do if you've got bindweed oh, or yeah. something like no, that. So be careful what weed you've got on. Yeah, it. but it's just a very quick thing that um, an allotment I'm not association putting you down, can do. I'm just saying you do have to be yes, careful. Yes, absolutely. Be careful with that one. Um, and I was talking, what was I going to say about allotments? Something about allotments, but it's, it's gone completely. I think people are inclined to just leave and forget allotments at this time of year. And we forget that actually things like winter digging are so important to get done at this time of year. Yeah, or even if you're not keen on digging, because I know there's lots of gardeners who like oh, the no, no, no dig. dig. But, um, and then if you're a keen no digger, I think you have lots of mulches over your ground anyhow. Mm. But if you haven't and you've got bare earth, uh, even just putting an old tarpaulin down, weighted down with bricks uh, will save you so so much work in the spring if you're not one of these gardeners that's out there in the winter keeping your earth uh, cultivated and dug over so please do that please do that uh don't forget that number to call is 0300 200 40 41 that's the number to call you can text us here in the studio on 81333 start your message with the word essex uh, there's even an email, ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk. Um, looks like you've prompted somebody, Julie from Dunmo. She said she's just moved in to a house, uh, obviously in Dunmo, well, I'd expect it to be in Dunmo as it's come from Dunmo. And uh, she said she's inherited a garden that is a wilderness. There are decent shrubs in there. Yeah. But where does she start? Now, funny enough, we had a, I had a guy recently who rang in about this and he said, how does he get the information? He's only He had a garden that had loads of decent shrubs in it. Yeah. How do I get them? How do I know what I've got and what to do with them? Mm. And in fact, I can't remember where he was, but we sent him, we suggested he cut pieces from each shrub yeah. and trundle down to his local nursery and garden centre. And if he didn't get good advice, go to the next one. But he got really good advice and he came back and told us. Oh, fantastic. And they were identified. He took about... Nine or ten, and they identified about eight of them. Yeah, that's a really and good from idea. that, they told him what to do. So, how do yeah. we, if it's a real mess for Julie, do, does she do similarly? I suppose you've got to get the weed and the rubbish out first, haven't you? You have, yeah. And I think also it's important to, as you say, identify what shrubs you have and also leave, an, leave as much as you can alone so that you've experienced the garden for a whole year if you can because then you'll understand if there's bulbs that are dormant now that are going to spring up in the in the spring or even in the summer um if you've got there might be um autumn flowering bulbs that you just don't know there either as well so avoid cultivating large areas if you if you can but i know sometimes like i'd be itching to get my hands on the garden and, and get it all spruced up so again shrubs you need to identify basically if they're spring flowering or summer flowering because um, spring flowering, you can prune after flowering generally. Yes. As a general Yeah, this rule. is a general guide for pruning. So um, we should explain that spring flowering shrubs tend to flower on last year's growth. 
So what you do is you prune them straight after their flowering display. Then they grow again that summer and then that is the growth that will then flower the following spring. So you won't be losing any flowers if you cut them straight after their spring flowering. And a good example of that is Forsythia, which a lot yeah. of people know because it's yellow flowering and it flowers in the spring. Exactly. Although some have been flowering in the autumn this year. But generally it flowers <laughs> so in the spring. It's not muddy the waters, Yes, yeah, yeah, flowers <laughs> in the spring. Yeah, and then your summer flowering shrubs, like things like Buddleias, um, they are different in that they only they flower on the newer growth. So what you can do is you can prune those back hard in the spring or even in the late winter. They then grow all through the summer and they flower on that new growth in the summer. So that's two distinct types of shrubs that you have. That's the main groups of shrubs that you have in the garden, the spring flowering and the summer flowering, and why you prune them at different times of the year. So, um, yeah, like you say, take them down to a local garden centre or if you've got, a, I mean, I, people know in my, where I live in Fingering Ho, they knock on your door, we, don't they? They do me. knock on my door, and I don't mind. I go around and tell them what they, you know, if I can identify the shrubs, then I'll do so. So if you know someone who's into their gardening, um, normally we can be bribed with a nice cup of tea and some biscuits, or maybe even a glass of Prosecco at this time of year, something like that. You know, we're very amenable to those sorts of currencies. Uh, get us around your garden, and we'll tell you what you've, what you've got there. And then you can work out from that. Not just whether it's spring or summer flowering, but you can tell exactly what you've got, whether it's a Forsythia, a Buddleia, Camellia, um, Hebe, a Choicea. There's, you know, there's lots of different shrubs out there. When but it comes you, to the pruning... If, oh, but sorry, if you've got, you just going back to... If you've got a garden, which I visited recently, where the actual, say, things like blackberries and everything have taken over, you've really mm. got to... Don't, you either try and dig them out... Or you cut them close to the ground and then you can treat them with weekly in the spring, can't you? Yes, you can. Yeah. Yeah. So you say any of those nasty big, big weeds like brambles, if you've got things like uh, ash or elder or um, things that are sycamore, you know, if there's tree seedlings that have self-sown in there that need to really come out, otherwise they'll become quite large trees. Get those all out as well. That's the job that you can do this winter. Um, and, you know, if you've got long grass, you can you can maybe strim it down and, and get that back into some kind of like uh, lawn if you if you want it to be a lawn. Um, and the shrubs, if you want to renovate something, uh, to be honest, most suckering shrubs, and I'll explain what I mean by suckering, you can cut them down hard and they normally bounce back as long as they're healthy. So you can tell if a shrub is a suckering shrub because basically where it all comes from the earth, loads and loads of stems will come from the earth. Like, um, what can we say is a suckering shrub? Lilac. Yes, yeah, exactly. Good example is lilac, Yeah, and things like Dutzia, those sorts of plants, uh, and uh, Spirea. They often, like I say, throw up lots of shoots from the base, Caria japonica, those sorts of things. You can cut them back hard if you need to renovate, say if it's grown over the path or it's in the front of a door or a window or something. Cut them back hard in the spring and they will come back again. If it's not a suckering shrub, hold on until you know exactly what it is and whether you know whether you can prune it hard or not. Ken Crowther. This is BBC Essex. Lucy Chamberlain, Ken Crowther. We're talking gardening, anything to do with gardening. Now, a Christmas treat. I was going to say, Andrew, should I do Andrew first? Yes, come on, Andrew, I better do you first. Andrew in Southend said he's... Uh, he kept his canners in because he'd been listening to us earlier and some of us, uh, some of the discussion was that you can leave your canners and dailies in and now they're blackened by the frost. Has he lost them? Oh, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> That's a question, isn't it? My goodness. Um... I might not have done. No, exactly. Uh, cannas are a tender plant, 
but they're what we call borderline hardy. So they will survive outside as long as they're not experiencing uh, cold in combination with waterlogging. It's normally the winter wet that tends to cause them to rot off because they've got very fleshy, thick roots. So, um, yeah, if you're in an area that's got clay soil, I know where I live down the road at Aberton, they have a very heavy clay soil, mm. then that could be problems. Where I live in Fingeringhoe, which is only a mile away from Aberton, it's a lovely light sandy soil. So Andrew, if you've got a nice light sandy soil like that, your cannas or dahlias or any other sort of like tuberous um, tender plant probably will be okay left outside all year round. You can cut those blackened stems down and you could, if you want to, lay a straw mulch over the top and peg that down with some fleece just to insulate the root system. If you're in an area that's got heavier soil or is in a low lying dip and it's more prone to waterlogging then i would have re- i would recommend getting those cannas up pot them up put them in the like a, a, a i've got mine um in a in a greenhouse um it's got no heating it's just it's just like an almost frost-free greenhouse um and then you can plant them out again in april may next year when things have warmed up yeah, that's some good advice for Andrew. Now, Christmas trees, people are... Mm. Um, it was interesting because they, they claim that last week end should have been the the one for Christmas trees, wouldn't it? But, of course, last weekend it snowed. It was snowing. So, in fact, I'm sure people are out this weekend, which, from my point of view, is much nicer for the Christmas tree because you're not exposing it to all that heat for too long, well, which, is, which is rather rather. Cruel. I've been cruel, Ken, because I've cruel. put I've put my I got mine up in the right at the beginning of December. You're before, terrible. Because my husband goes away to, on this, the turkey turkey farm for the whole oh, of December. Of course he so does, we got yeah. we decorated the hello great <laughs> hello great garnets and done by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we got ours up really early, and it, I must admit it's suffering. I know it's yeah. cruel. It's so, cruel. I'm going to come back to that because I've got Debbie on the, on the phone, and she's picked up on something that actually, funny enough, we mentioned earlier on. But I'm going to come back to Christmas trees because I think it's an important subject at this time of the year. I don't know why this time of the year. I mean, just Christmas trees. Anyway, Debbie in Chelmsford has called us on 0300 200 4041. If you've got a Christmas tree question or comment, that's the number to call. Debbie, what would you like to know? Um, earlier you mentioned about not rotivating if you had bindweed. We did indeed. Well, I did, in fact, <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it's a good point, definitely. What's the best way of getting rid of bindweed? Oh, Debbie. It'd be interesting to know yeah. what... Uh, you see, I know what I'd do. <laughs> well, go on, you, can you say? Cause well, I, I, do, I've... I would own... I, sadly, I think weed killer is possibly... I would dig the bed. If, if you've got a new bed or an empty bed... Have you got a new bed or an empty bed, Debbie? No, it, it's old, and unfortunately the bindweed is just spreading. Okay. Right. Quite difficult, because generally, if it was a... Let's go for a bare <clears throat> plot. If it's a bare plot, you dig through, you remove... With a fork, not a spade, and you remove as much root as you can. Mm. Then you leave it fallow, and in the spring, you use um, a glyphosate product, which, out of interest, has just regained its licence for another period. I thank God for that. Um because I don't know what we do without it. And that is one of the... F- I mean, bindweed is an interesting example. You would not eradicate bindweed without glyphosate. You'd struggle, wouldn't you? You wouldn't do it. Yeah, it just because glyphosate go. is one of those few weed killers that goes down the gardens to the root. have access to, that travels... It's called systemic, and it travels back down into the root system. So, Debbie, you're, you're speaking to the... somebody who looks after some massive herbaceous borders in Fingering Ho that have got, got bindweed, bindweed all the way through it. So we've got these... Lovely herbaceous borders. Mm. Um, we've got a very open sandy soil where I, we are in Fingeringhoe, and it means that the bindweed can run 
riot through that soil because mm. it's nice and open and it's easy for the roots to penetrate. So what I did last year, because we really want to nail this and get on top of the bindweed, because it's growing through lots of plants, obviously it's very difficult to spray. But what I did, and this is a little bit laborious, but it is, it's working, and I'm going to do it this year as well. I got some short lengths of bamboo cane, um, about four foot long. And where the bindweed was coming through in the spring, I poked the bamboo into the earth. Ken, you're smiling. but no, I know what you're going yeah, to do. And, it and it, is, it does work, but it's very yep. laborious thing. Uh, and then when the bindweed grows, it should wrap itself around the canes. If it doesn't, and some of mine didn't, I had to go through and tie it up to the canes. It then grows around the bamboo canes as opposed to growing around your ground. plants, yep. which is the key, key thing. Um, and then in, when was it, about li- middle of June, my husband Ian and I went along with some glyphosate and with, with of all things, a road traffic cone. <laughs> but it was the perfect shape. And then we put the cone over the cane with the bindweed, we sprayed into that with the Roundup, um, and then you can remove the cone because the weed killer is contained just, just yep. on the weed, not the garden plants. You're okay, and then you can do that very carefully. Go through it all dies back, but I know for a fact that the the bindweed will come back again this year because it's such a strong rooted plant, and I will do exactly the same. And the only other way that I've used, I use, uh, is the two litre, I think a two litre or four litre lemonade bottles. You can use those as a cone. Yeah. Uh, But equally, you can buy selective cones for your sprayers at a good garden centre. Yeah, you can. I just like the use of a traffic cone. And it will eventually kill it off, Debbie, I should say that. I know I'm going to do it again this year. but You have to keep at it. It will be a lot less. And so uh, within two or three years, you'll get rid of that bindweed. Is that all right, Debbie? That's great. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Okay, We're going to get. We're staying in Chelmsford and talking to Shirley now. Hello, Shirley. Hello. Um, I just had a tree man knock on my door. Oh like, dear. Knocking on every few weeks. I have a beautiful magnolia in my back garden. It's about twenty twenty five foot high. It, uh, it's about 55 years old. I know that because it was planted out of a little pot by my mother-in-law. And it's beautiful. Now, it has got very tall. I think it must be the only tree left on the estate that they haven't managed to convince people to chop down. Um, <laughs> um, what What... Is the, right, uh, well, no, can I, I'm going to be a little controversial because any tree man that knocks on my door, I would not have any have anything to do with him doing tree work. Just going to say the same. We um, would say yeah, the same. Yeah, absolutely, because if they're knocking on your door for work, then, then they a good they're tree surgeon should go they're by busy. their reputation. Yeah, exactly. They don't need to do that, a good tree surgeon. They're busy, very busy at the moment. stage now where I open the door and I say see tree on there and I say no I don't want my magnolia cut down it's very tall madam and I said yes it is very tall and I like it it's a beautiful magnolia down now you'll cut all the blossom all the blue right put a, said, don't well, you do that any time of the year put a note on your door put a note on your door saying tree man go away <laughs> uh, I like and my... pin it to the door <laughs> we wish you a merry Christmas but go away now, magnolias, you do prune generally after flowering, don't you, Lucy? Yeah, you prune magnolias in the summer. But if it's big and mainly. it's not in the way? No. Yeah, it's, that, that's what I thought, yeah. yeah. I, I used to work at... Had one or two of the lower 
branches taken off because they were going over next door. That's neighbor. fine. But the whole whole branches come off, and that's fine. But it's absolutely beautiful when it comes out. Yeah, I bet it is. I bet it is, Shirley. And when I, I used to work at Wisley and they had some massive magnolias Leave there. And they are, you know, can be large trees. They're not all little plants, no. but they looked stunning. Now, I just wanted to uh, get this one in because uh, we've talked a bit about Christmas trees and it's something that came up this week uh, at the station and here at BBC Essex. And you might be surprised to learn that real Christmas trees can be a trigger for some people with asthma. Now, I can actually, I, I, instantly, I would say, well, I don't know, you know, it's a real Christmas tree. But in fact, the real Christmas tree is a host for moulds, which it would be, yeah, because they, it's an evergreen. A lot of evergreens are, aren't they? They get a lot of algae growing yeah, on them, don't they? All yeah, different, which is a common asthma trigger. And bringing a real tree into a warm, centrally heated home means the mould spores can multiply, increasing the risk of asthma attack. For some people, even the smell of a pine tree can trigger it. If you have a real Christmas tree in your home, you're supposed to wash it down before you take it in. That's the asthmatic uh, society suggest. I don't know that. I'm, well, I suppose you can. You could. You could leave it outside and hose it off before you... Well, it's not going to harm it. Then let it dry. You won't hurt it. No. Nope. Uh, anyway, that's a suggestion, and it wash, you wash off most of the allergens. And then keep the tree, obviously, as we've suggested, in the coolest part of the house. Never put a tree in a hot, hot, hot room. You mean not in your lounge, right next to the fire? Well, exactly, that's mm. what people do. <laughs> Keep the tree in the coolest part of the house anyway. If you notice any symptoms with family or friends, obviously get rid of the tree. But I just thought it's an interesting one to bring up because yeah. it's not something that I have come across ever. No. Is it you? No, it's not. And I know asthma is uh, can be it's growing, triggered it's also. Growing. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But it's becoming... It's, it's triggered by the change in the weather. So the, cha- the cold weather can trigger asthma attacks. I only know that because our cat has asthma, Ken. Really? We have to we have to put a puffer on an our asthmatic cat. Yeah, cat. our little cat Isaac. We have to put a puffer on his face every morning. So, yeah, he like, he doesn't mind it. Oh, you know why though? It's because you got a Christmas tree in <laughs> and you put it in too early. <laughs> and see, I, Isaac loves trouble. that tree. To be fair, yeah. <laughs> so. but let's just say that Christmas trees do need. Uh, they're, they're really like a vase of flowers. You can't ignore them. They need water. Whether they're a cut flower, would you agree? A cut. cut oh yeah, plant? no, no, they do. Well, ours has got a big vessel of about two pints of water in the base, and I'm continually stocking it up. So. And yeah. if you've got yeah. one that's uh, a lot nowadays are grown in pots in the ground and then they lift the pot, that's another good way of growing a good, um, particularly the non-drops are grown they that way. They do cost a lot more money that way. They that's do. That's the only thing. I have noticed. You know where yeah. I found some. I won't tell you which in the garden <laughs> centre, but I found them on half price. I'm, I'm oh, tight. Tell you know. me about that later. <laughs> <laughs> this is BBC Essex. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. And if you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you wherever you go via our website, bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. Next week, my guest will be Dave Gillam from the Garden Centre here in Chelmsford. Don't forget, if you have a gardening question for us, why not give us a call on 0300 200 4041 and be part of the programme. Yes, every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11 o'clock. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. 